we'll read uh, the whole chapter this morning. Hebrews chapter 8. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator, is a superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and, I, and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This morning, I would like to talk to you about the better promise that Jesus offers us. Jesus is our better promise. Will you please join with me in prayer? God, open our hearts, open our minds to you, Lord, that we would have new hearts, new minds, and forgiveness of sins. Lord, knowing that we have a relationship with you and that we have a life with you, and so we praise you now, God, and we ask that you would guide our time together. Open our hearts to you. May we know you and love you and seek you each day. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about our text this morning, and I was, I was reflecting on good intentions. Who of you have had good intentions? Every last one of us. And how often have those good intentions worked out with all the good intended? Uh, we have a few phrases that we have adopted, and we don't need to recite them, but there is a group of people who I think were well-intended. They were the Israelites. They have just been delivered out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. God has delivered them, and he has already uh, ascribed some laws to them. 
And in Exodus 24, verse 3, it says, When Moses went and told the people uh, all of the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. So Moses, he lays it all out there. All the Israelites have been delivered out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Moses gives them instruction. After all of this, this is what they say. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Okay, how did that work out? Not very well, right? There's mumbling in the crowd. There's a rump. There was it. It didn't work out very well. But their good intentions, the good intention of we will obey everything that the Lord has commanded. We know that in Exodus 24, that in Exodus 32 is the golden calf. So we know what happens eight chapters later. What's interesting to me is that what happens in between Exodus 24 and 32. God then begins laying out with them the tabernacle and, and the altar and all of the sacrifices. And God explains to them a sort of working relationship between God and his people. He is making this covenant with them work. God anticipates with Moses that Exodus 32 is coming. And he spends 25 through 31 to have a relationship to walk with them and navigate this. It's almost as if God knows that our good intentions are often met by our moral shortcomings. That our good intentions of trying to walk with God and trust in him also is met with the sort of brokenness that is within each and every one of us. That we fall short of God and his glory and we fall short in our sin. God uh, knows what he's working with. And he knows what he's working with in the New Testament, too. And the Hebrews preacher is trying to communicate a very important point. And I just want to make mention that I'm staying on track, even with all of the distractions of the, well, now I'm off track, but um, uh, I'm doing the best I can to see your face and, and uh, encourage you. But uh, this morning, uh, what was I talking about? Okay, the Hebrews preacher, he knows uh, that the people of God are wrestling with what is new because of Jesus? What is better because of Jesus? And I think that he is trying to communicate to his congregation that things are so much better in Jesus. And we've looked at them, that Jesus is better than the angels, that Jesus offers a better covenant. And he also offers us a better promise. And the promise today is what I want you to hear that God has been a promise-making and promise-keeping God. We know this. He promised after the flood that there wouldn't be a flood like it ever again, even though all of the rain has us suspect and wondering. We're like, God, remember the rainbow. Remember. We want to point that out every once in a while. But, but God is not going to devastate the world as he did uh, in the days of the flood. That God made a covenant and promise with Abraham that I will be your God and you'll be my people and I'll grow you into a great nation. We know that God made a promise with David that you will always have a king over your throne. We know that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And so the question is, is what is the better promise today? What is better about Jesus being here? What is better about Jesus uh, being crucified and resurrected? What is better about God's Spirit being in us and with us? 
And that's just what the Hebrews preacher wants you to hear today and what he wanted his audience to hear. And he comes back to an old familiar text, and it was a hope-filled text. It was from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. And he offers a direct quotation of, of this sermon that mattered greatly to the life of the Israelites because the life of the Israelites was a life of good intentions and good intentions that have gone wrong. Oh, we will obey everything you've commanded. And then one generation later, it's all messed up. And when we've been reading, if you've been reading along with me uh, in our Bible reading plan, we've read through the book of Kings. And man, does that, that book just sort of like make you feel kind of blah, because it's like, is there any hope that there's anything that could be good that comes from Israel, good that comes from our good intentions and our desire to follow God, but falling short. The wrestling match that happens with our own hearts and our own minds and wondering what is next and what is better about Jesus. And Jeremiah 31 is the breath of hope and freshness and revival into the hearts of Christians, into the hearts of the Israelites to say that God is going to do something new. And instead of just giving you the laws, God gives us a new heart. And this is a sort of uh, wrestling match that I have in my own self because I think, okay, if I have this new heart now, then why do I keep messing up? I know I'm the only one, but uh, we have to do this wrestling match. What is God doing and what does he mean by a new heart? And I just want to look carefully at the promise the promise that was given to Jeremiah, to the Israelites, and to us as God's people. And, he pick, and we pick it up here then in verse 10. It says, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and re will remember their sins no more. Taking a brief moment to think about our hearts, our minds, our intentions. When you became a Christian, did you experience a sort of intimacy with God and an understanding of God that was new to you. You made a response to something about God, something about what Jesus Christ did and what he meant to you. There was a fundamental difference between the way that you lived your life at one time and how you live it today. A heart that beats for God, a heart that understands and desires intimacy with God and a relationship with others. Something changed within you. It changed for me. And maybe you grew up going to church and you grew up knowing about God, but there is something that happens as you continue to grow in the Lord, your desire for him and your, your heart for him changes. It continues to some of those hardened things that have built up within you, they continue to be shaped and refined, and God continues to point out to you your pride. I love it when he does that. I mean, 
I just love it when he chips away at my pride. And, and I know that I'm more humble than most, but it still happens, you know, from time to time that God feels the need to sufficiently humble me. And it's like, okay, God, I have had enough. God is inscribing a new heart for you. And while it seems like it should be an all or nothing thing, it seems like right now we're in this sort of transformation period where God is working on us and he's bending our hearts and our wills and our desires and he's shaping that life around his kingdom, around his king, around his will and his desires for the world. And slowly but surely you have seen your life change and change for the better. And it may not be easier, but God has done something within you and you sense that. That God is working in your life. The promise that Jeremiah gives to the Israelites is this hope-filled thing that one day our intentions will match God's intentions for the world. That one day our hearts and our desires will beat as one with Christ that we would become Christ's image in the world. I think we have a lot of room for improvement, but this is, this is a sense of the direction in which God is moving his people. And he says this precarious thing, that we wouldn't just sort of talk about God, but that we would know God. That we would think about God, that we would think the way that he thinks. Is your thinking like God, or are you just still thinking like however you thought before? Have you consciously thought about renewing your mind and fixing your mind on Christ and his kingdom? This is the sort of renewal that, that, uh, that Jeremiah knows is, in, is a desperate need for Israel, and it's the same thing that the Hebrews preacher knows is a desperate need for the people of God. We need our intentions to be shaped by the heart of God and the mind of God. And if we don't do that, then we will continue to go down the path of good intentions. We need our lives conformed to Christ and his kingdom and his will, not conformed by our desires, our wants, our needs. We can know God. And by knowing who God is, this is a critical importance in my mind if we can know who God is then we can start discerning who God isn't and I'll tell you what I think we need that because there's a there's a general sense in my mind that we we have forgotten God and we ignore God and we have chosen other gods to lead us and what I mean by that is that sometimes we have taken things that are important and we've made them more important. We've made things idolatrous and idols in our life that have taken on more importance than they should. I have a little phone in my pocket that draws a, a quite a bit of attention in my life. And I uh, get a little distracted sometimes and I obsess over it. And I think maybe my life would be better without an iPhone. I wouldn't go too far though. I mean, I'll keep it. But... Uh, but maybe we wrestle with what, what is good for us and what is God and what isn't of God and what is something that should get my worship and attention and devotion and what shouldn't. We need to know who God is and who it isn't. And I'll tell you this, and don't throw tomatoes, but I hate to tell you, but Donald Trump and 
and uh, Joe Biden are not God. They are not going to deliver you. They are not going to give you what you want. They are not going to give you peace. But our culture has propped them up as idols and gods. We need to know who God is and who it isn't. Who gets our worship and who doesn't. Who gets our devotion, our allegiance, our love, our service, our dedication. We need to know who God is and who it isn't. And what Jeremiah is saying to the Israelites and what the Hebrews preacher is saying to us is that because of Christ, we can know God and we can have a heart that beats for him and a mind that seeks him. And it's almost as if he knows that we're going to sort of mess this up, Jeremiah and the Hebrews preacher, and he offers us this thing that I cling to. Because if you're like me, you still wrestle with your intentions. You, you still wrestle with, I thought I was going down the right path, and you, you, know, you walk into the wall and you realize, oh my goodness, what I thought was good wasn't. And we've all been there, and there's this gift to us that he no longer, God will no longer hold our sins against us. He will forgive us of our wickedness. We can have forgiveness of sins through Christ. And that's what the first part of eight, and kind of everything leading up to it, one through seven, and he, what he is saying is, is that there is a priest seated at the right hand of God who is there advocating for you. Later in the Hebrews text, he's going to say, the priests were always standing. In the Old Testament, they were always standing and they were always working. And it was the sense that they're always standing and always working because they're always having to offer this forgiveness. They're always having to go and advocate. And what is Jesus Christ doing as the great high priest? He's seated. The work that he has done, the sacrifice that he has offered is once and for all time. He forgives you, he loves you, he welcomes you, and you can have a relationship with God. You are forgiven. And so while it feels like this sort of wrestling match of, and we start looking at our heart and we look at our mind and we know the wrestling matches that we've had because we live life and we still wrestle with sin, we still wrestle with evil, we still wrestle with these things that are going on in our lives and the addictions and distractions and all of these things that sort of hurt us and cause suffering and pain and all of the hurt of all of that. It's the third part of this gift that is for us to continue to press forward and to know that there's forgiveness and love. And it, it's this realization that just like in Exodus 24, knowing that Exodus 32 is coming, God did everything he could so that Israelites could have a relationship with God. And what the New Testament is telling us is Jesus has done everything possible for you to have a relationship with God and be reconciled and forgiven. All of chapter 8 is to tell you that you are forgiven and loved and Christ's sacrifice is enough, that there is a better promise in Jesus. Jesus is our better promise. So what I want to say to you is, is that it's Sunday and Monday is coming. And you know, there's the great uh, sermon by Tony Campolo that it's Friday and Sunday's coming, but it's Sunday and Monday is coming. And it was Shakespeare who said that it is easier to preach 20 sermons than it is to live one. I think it was Shakespeare. I don't know. It just sounds good, right? 
Um, I didn't actually read Shakespeare. I mean, I don't want to leave that. Uh, anyways, what was I saying? That it's easier to preach 20 than it is to live one. And we know that. And the Hebrews preachers is preaching the, the greatest sermon, of one of the greatest sermons of all time. And we know the challenge that's ahead of us. And you think about the sort of applications and things to do with it and the things to examine and all this stuff. And, and all I would just ask is, is that do you believe this text to be true? Do you believe that you are forgiven for your sins? Do you believe that you can have a relationship with God and walk with him? Do you believe that your mind can know God? Did you, do you believe that your heart can beat for him? That your will could be conformed to his? And so the application is simply to ask you, if you live one sermon for the rest of your life, let it be this sermon. This sermon that comes from Jeremiah that says to you, you have a new heart of God's law and God's love and what God desires for you in your life, it is inscribed on your heart, will you let it beat for him? And you can have a mind that knows God and seeks him and understands him and knows who he is and who he isn't. And there is grace upon grace, upon mercy, upon forgiveness for all of those things of the past, all of the things in the present, and all of the things ahead because Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The work has been accomplished and you are loved and you are forgiven and you can have a life with him. Would you have a heart that beats for God, a mind that reflects and seeks God, And would you give yourself the grace today to know that you are forgiven and loved? I have found that I have obsessed over the first two things. I'm trying to get it right. And I have not given myself much grace for when I fall short. I want you to know that God has taken care of all of the things that are needed for you to walk with him. It's really just a question of our intentions. Will our intentions be formed and united with Christ? Will we become his image bearers, transformed and renewed in the image of Christ? We are called as the children of God walk with him let's join together in that as a community of believers who want to know God and seek him with all our hearts and offer his forgiveness to one another let's pray Heavenly Father we love you so much and I thank you for today I thank you for uh, just time to hear about Eden's children's uh, village and the ministry that's happening there and we pray that every child there and their workers and everyone involved would be blessed and be cared for. Lord, that above all, that they would know you, that their hearts would beat for you, that they would know that they are forgiven. God, and for that truth today, let it resonate in our hearts today so we can navigate Monday. Let it resonate in our hearts and our minds and help us to fix our minds on Christ 
fix our thoughts on things above and not on earthly things. Or that we would be transformed and renewed in our minds, that our hearts, Lord, would no longer be hearts of stone, but a new heart given us through Christ and your Spirit. God, to navigate this life, we need you. We have to have your Spirit. We have to have you with us. To move forward together as a congregation, to unite together as a church, to to do the work of the kingdom, Lord, we need you. So, Lord, we don't want to go alone. We invite you to work in our lives. Help us to know you and seek you with all of our hearts. Lord, that we could fulfill the greatest commandment to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, and that we can know that where we have fallen short, where we miss the target, where we're forgetful, where we're distracted, where we've loved the wrong things, God, for all of that, we praise you that there's forgiveness, that the one who is seated at the right hand is the majesty of heaven, who was there in the beginning, who endured hardship and pain and suffering, Lord, that today we have an advocate for us who knows our hurt, knows our loneliness, our anxiety, our struggles, who knows every bit of our pain. And so we take it to you. We take it all to you, and we thank you for forgiveness and love and new life. We praise you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in response?